Good morning, everybody. Welcome into 104.3 The Fans Coffee Break. Will Peterson, Rachel Hill hanging out with you as we get ready for game four between the Avs and Lightning down in Tampa. Will, how are you feeling about tonight? I'm feeling good, Rachel. We've got a, uh, a lot to dive into from the Avs morning skate and their pressers that just wrapped up. But to me, it's mostly all good news. There, there's one thing I don't love, so we'll 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 talk about it. But you know what? If Nazem Kadri can play tonight, I wrote a column for DenverFan.com that uh, published at six this morning, and sort of feels like it's starting to come to fruition. So I am uh, I am feeling good as we sit. Wow, I guess uh, seven and a half hours from puck drop. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited for tonight's game. But you mentioned the big name, Nazem Kadri. He was out on the ice today, our very own DMAC, who, by the way, it's his birthday today. So everybody go wish DMAC a very happy birthday. But he's got Nazem Kadri in Burgundy at morning skate. Uh, Jared Bednar did say he's getting better every day, and it is a game time decision. But you'll love to just see him back out on the ice, Will. Yeah, and it is, you know, it's a pom-pom worthy, you know, piece of news, piece of video from DMAC. Look, I, I wrote the column because when he skated yesterday and then Bednar said, oh, he, he might be an option for us. That was the word Bednar used. I was sort of reading the tea leaves and thinking, I think he's going to play in game four. And then today you see him out there with the power play two unit in the burgundy sweater. And of course, Bednar won't commit because we've been doing this. What? This is our 18th playoff game now. We know Bednar won't commit to anything. That shouldn't shock people that he's not going to go to the microphone in this morning and say, oh, yeah, Nazem Kadri's playing. But if you have followed this run, you followed us, you know, it followed everyone on the fan. This is massive news. This could be the spark the Avalanche need. Listen, the tone of my column this morning was let's go back to the Super Bowl 50 Broncos run and week 17 when Peyton Manning replaced Brock Osweiler when the Broncos were losing to the 4-11 and Chargers in the final game of the season. Brock's offense had committed five turnovers in that game, and most of them weren't Brock's fault, but it was clear they needed a spark, right? So in comes Peyton, standing ovation. They beat the Chargers. They get the number one seed in the AFC. The rest, of course, is history. Peyton never relinquishes the starting QB role, and an all-time great defense led by Von Miller beats the Steelers, beats the Patriots, beats the Panthers. The Broncos win the Super Bowl. I want to be clear. Nazem Kadri is not Peyton Manning, but the spark <laughs> of Peyton Manning sort of got the Broncos over the hump and elevated the play of everyone around him. Could the spark of Nazem Kadri make the Avalanche sort of wake back up tonight and, and, and play a much different game than we saw in game three? Absolutely. He was not supposed to return these playoffs. He broke his thumb. He had surgery. The reports were he was out for the postseason. And now Nazem Kadri is on the verge of playing in game four. Rachel, he's been a motivating factor for them in these playoffs already. We all remember the drivel and ridiculous, abhorrent, racist threats he went through in St. Louis. And what did he do? He went and got a hat trick. And the Avs rallied around him. And then game five at Ball Arena, there was hundreds, if not thousands, of signs supporting Kadri. And he got a hero's welcome uh, returning to Denver. Like, Nazem Kadri is a rallying point for the Colorado Avalanche. This is uh, the tone of my column, obviously, and I'm going on and on, but I don't think we can overstate how important it is having him back out there tonight from a a spark and a, a mental and emotional boost for the Colorado Avalanche. 
Well, as you were talking, I started to get goosebumps because I'm like, I want him back out on the ice so bad. But it also just shows how crazy it is that three weeks ago you could break your thumb and everyone's like, oh, he's going to be out for the rest of the time. But the medical staff over there at the Colorado Avalanche, they've obviously got him kind of locked up to figure what's going to work best for him. So we're excited. But we got a question from Troy and he said, we're going to see Frankie tonight. So this kind of leads into the next portion of what we learned today is Darcy Kemper at Morning Skate was in the starters net. So most likely it's going to be Darcy to start this game. Now that doesn't mean that if things go south, that we might not see Frankie. We're obviously hoping that doesn't happen, but you never know. We've obviously seen him switch around with different players. Yeah, I said at the start of the show, I was really happy about one thing and not so thrilled about another. And this is <laughs> this is what I was bummed about. Jared Bednar's been bold in these postseason uh, decisions. He has not been afraid to hurt anyone's feelings. He's constantly shuffled his lines. He shuffled his goaltenders. And after how bad Darcy Kemper was the other night, and, and frankly, uh, my guy Francois was was adequate, if not more than adequate. I thought the play was to start Francois tonight. Um, like we said, da- uh, Darcy Kemper's in the starters net. That could be gamesmanship, but Rachel, we both know 98% of the time that means he's starting the game. Bednar, of course, did not confirm in his press conference that just wrapped up a few minutes ago who it would be. But you said something interesting there. You said if things go south, we could see Frankie. Well, well why, why not just get out in front of it? Preemptive strike. And I'm not blaming you. I'm just saying. It's like, listen, we're on the same page, Will. We're on the same page. I, I know, but it's just like that thought is in all of our minds. Like even even our buddy James Merillat, who's all excited that his guy Darcy's starting tonight, you know in the back of his mind he's thinking, well, if Darcy Kemper looks like Swiss cheese, they're going to have to bring in Pavel Francis. Well, why not keep the Swiss cheese on the bench? and put in the nice solid piece of cheddar cheese in Pavel Francois. So I do not like this decision at all. I think it has a lot of potential to backfire for the ass tonight. And if you have to pull Kemper again, then he's obviously done for the series. But I just think you should get out in front of it and start Francois. Bednar's got a lot of pressure to get this decision right. And I'm sitting here in Denver, and he's the head coach of the Avs. I get it. But my gut is he got this decision wrong. We'll have to see how it plays out. Okay, I 100% agree with you. And I'm going to play devil's advocate real quick. Uh, Darcy did have a shutout in game two. So it's not like he's completely incapable. And, you know, Jared Bednar's just been like, oh, my goodness, whatever. He's played horrible, but we're going to keep him in. He had one bad game. So everybody, again, we're not pressing the panic button on this series. And we'll see how Darcy does tonight. Now, if he does play bad, yeah, you absolutely have to start Frankie for the rest of the series, in my personal opinion. But we want to know what you guys all think. So please let us know in the comments if you are Team Darcy or Team Frankie and who you would like to see in the net tonight. But another player who actually had a huge game in Game 1 of the Stanley Cup Final was Andre Burakovsky, and we found out that he is back in Denver getting treatment. So, again, Burakovsky was major this postseason, but we absolutely want him back out there too. And, obviously, they're being very cautious, and they know the team has to travel back to Denver so trying to just get the treatment that he needs to hopefully get in for game five, Will. Yeah, it was funny. You know, we we kind of were like, oh, who might play, Burakovsky or Kadri? And then Bednar said yesterday and reemphasized um, today that Burakovsky's in Denver. So yeah. last time I checked, Rachel, the game's in Tampa. So, you know, I, I feel kind of silly, like, well, maybe we'll see him. It's like, well, if he's sitting here, he better get on a plane pretty darn soon if he plans on playing tonight. 
And even then, it's it would be obviously very rare to travel and then play in the same day. So, yeah, Burakovsky's out. We just got to uh, accept that, wrap our mind around it. As you mentioned, he scored the OT winner in game one. And then in game two, he sort of had the goal that kind of broke the back and opened the floodgates. It was 2 nothing abs. He had the one to make it 3 nothing, And that's when we could all sort of exhale and say, okay, they're going to win this one in a laugher. And, of course, they did. They won it 7 nothing. So, Burakovsky, two massive goals so far in this Stanley Cup final. And then the first game he missed, the offense looked kind of lost. I mean, that was their worst performance since game two, round two against the Blues. That was a long time ago. A game they lost 4-1, and then they lose game three of the Cup final 6-2. They only scored two goals, and they were both from Gabe Landeskog. Great player, but when only one guy on your entire roster finds the back of the net, that's concerning, and it was because it was what I was talking about with Kadri. You sort of had to move everyone up, right? Like JT Comfer has been best in these playoffs on the third line where he can sort of play 10 to 12 minutes a game and, and surprise you with a goal here and there. When he's got to play on your second line and you're asking him to play 17, 18, 19 minutes, he had three great chances, Rachel. He went 0 for 3, right? Like he, he pulled a Chris Bryant at the plate or a Ryan McMahon. He was 0 for 3. He, he had the two empties on Vasilevsky where, yes, they were great saves, but he also shot him to the middle of the net rather than finding a corner. And then he had sort of the breakaway coming in, too, where Vasilevsky stoned him. And Ray Ferraro, the color commentator on the ESPN broadcast, is like, JT Comfer is going to lose sleep over this. That's a long-winded way of me saying if JT Comfer could just be in his role because Burakovsky and Kadri were playing – we wouldn't have to over-ask guys, everyone to move up a line. The good news is if you get Kadri back tonight, you can put him on the second line with Lekkanen and probably, uh, I guess, Rant- or Rantanen, and then keep Landeskog, McKinnon, Nachushkin on the first line, and then a guy like Comfort can go back to the third line. So uh, bummer about Burakovsky for sure, but I just mm-hmm. thought they really missed both guys in game three. At least if you get Kadri back, Heck, you scored seven goals without him in game two. Maybe you can score five, six, seven without Burakovsky tonight with the spark that Kadri provides. Oh, man, I really hope he's getting out on the ice. And obviously we're sending well wishes to Burakovsky. Hopefully we can see him back here in Denver in game five. But we're getting lots of comments about the goalie situation, Will, and it's obviously a hot topic. And we said, or Gary said, I'm team playing better defense regardless of who is in between the pipes. True. Ken says, so what happens when the backup journeyman goalie craps the bed and gives up five goals like backup goalies can do? If the backup was better, he would be the starter. Will, respond. Well, the backup was better in the Western Conference Final against a more dynamic offense. The Tampa Bay Lightning are a much better team than the Oilers, but the Edmonton Oilers have a better offense than the Tampa Bay Lightning. And Francois, last time I checked, had a shutout in Game 2 and gave up two goals in Game 3. He had a great game at home and a great game on the road. He also won your game four where I know he didn't play out of his mind, but he did do enough to keep you in it. Something Kemper couldn't do in game three against the lightning. So fair points from everyone. The first point I believe was from Gary and he hit the nail on the head, Gary, you're right. Like just play better defense. I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying the Avs played good defense in game three. I'm not like that's, that's where I don't want to be misconstrued as it was all Kemper's fault. No, it was Taze's fault. It was Manson's fault. It was McCarr's fault. They had three bad turnovers and, and some plays where they let the lightning guy dance around him. They're not immune from criticism, too. That said, Darcy Kemper gave up 
five goals in 31 minutes. He plays the whole game. That's I'm no mathematician, but that's a pace of 10 goals. And Rachel, we talked about it in the postgame show. I thought the odd goals were the soft ones. I thought goals one, three, and five were soft. And in game one, he gave up three. I also thought the odd goals in that game were soft if you go back and watch them. Goals one and three. That's five of the eight goals he has given up in the Stanley Cup final that, in my opinion, he should have saved. It's not a good percentage. His save percentage is now at .892 for the postseason, which is the third worst among all qualifying goalies in the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. Something like 26 goalies have seen action in this postseason, and the Avs have the 24-ranked goalie. That shows you how good this offense has been, and that shows you why it's not unreasonable for me to call for Francois. And last point I'll make on this, Kemper was the better goalie and the starter during the regular season because he deserved to be. So that last comment, you know, if the backup was the starter, the starter was the backup. There is a clear line in the sand of when Darcy Kemper's play fell off. And it's when he got a stick shoved in his eye in Nashville. Now, if one of your eyes got a stick shoved in it, you probably wouldn't be as good a goaltender too. So I'm not blaming him, but let's be honest. If that had happened in the regular season, that could have been surgery. That could have been out two, three months. But because this is the postseason, he is rushing back. And if they win the cup, Rachel, we may hear stories that Darcy Kemper can't see out of one eye. It's still swollen. It's still swollen, you know, a month and a half later. Clearly that eye isn't right. So none of this is personal against Kemper. It's evaluating what he's done since the eye injury. It's evaluating what Francois has done. And what have you done for me lately? And lately, Kemper was really bad the other night. And Francois was pretty good. That's why I would have gone with Pavel Francois tonight. Will, I love how fired up you are about this. I absolutely love it. But James Marat is also fired up. And he wrote a article for DenverFan.com today discussing about how, you know, the ass have cut corners. Colorado is loaded with talent from Nathan McKinnon to Kale McCarr, from Gabriel Landeskog to Miko Rantanen. Pretty much, he says, this house has gotten, it looks like we're having a little bit of issues with the graphic there, but pretty much that they built a brand new house and they put in millennium floors in it. Agree or disagree? Yeah, that's his favorite line. He loves the million-dollar house with uh, linoleum floors. He's not here to defend himself. So, you know, it it actually is a pretty creative line. I will give him that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I see James's point that you have a really good offensive team, high-powered, and you had that in 96, and you had that in 01, and you also Mm -hmm. had Patrick Waugh in goal. So that made it a nice, complete team. But at Mm -hmm. the same time, this summer – Joe Sackick had to pay Kale McCarr, and he had to pay Gabe Landeskog. He couldn't afford to pay Philip Grubauer. Grubauer got big money from the Kraken to go play in Seattle. And if you can't afford Philip Grubauer, who's sort of a mid-tier goalie in the NHL, you can't afford a top-tier goalie. That's why you had to go trade for Darcy Kemper, because it was the best option left, given the salary cap constraints that Sackick faced. So he had to cut corners somewhere. If you want to pay Ranton, which you did a couple years ago, you pay McCarr, you pay Landeskog. Oh, by the way, Nathan McKinnon's a free agent after next year. You better throw a whole heap of cash at him. I'm not sure you have enough left to uh, pay for a goalie. So, you know, Sackick built the million-dollar house with the linoleum floors. Well, maybe he should have built an $800,000 house, and that would have gotten him some hardwood floors. But uh, that's the the trouble uh, of being a GM or the dilemma of being a GM is that you can't pay everyone. 
And luckily for the Avs, they're two wins from the Stanley Cup. We got to keep that in mind. That this master plan from Joe Sackick has gotten 14 of 16 wins. Can they get the last two? They're going to be the two hardest, but it's worked so far. Mm-hmm. And in the comments, Gary says, good point, Will, which we love oh. to see. Thank you all so much for hanging Thanks, out bro. with us on this Wednesday. And Kale McCarr brought home a big award last night for the James Norris Memorial Trophy. So it's awarded to the best defensive player who demonstrates throughout the season the greatest all-around ability at his position. McCarr was a finalist last season and the first player in as-slash-Nordic's history to win the award McCarr led all defensemen in goals at 28 and second in points with 86, setting a single-season franchise record, Will. He also was tied for first in the NHL with Blue Liners with six game-winning goals, only one shy of the Avs franchise mark for a defenseman. Shout-out to Kale McCarr. We are so lucky to have you in Denver. Yeah, a lot of good research and stats there from you. I mean, every single one is like, wow. Like, you just realize how productive he was this season and Rachel were you watching that award show last night I did it was like the more it went on like the more nervous I got you know like I was I was getting super into it and and, you know at the start of the award ceremony they did the Vesna it's kind of like the Oscars they do like best actor early on because they want to get people's attention so I was thinking well maybe they'll open with the Norris Trophy Award and we'll get this out of the way but once they did the Vesda and then started going to sort of the lower tier awards, it was like, all right, we're going to have to wait the, pretty much the whole hour to find out the Norris. Only the heart's going to be after it for MVP. And by like 545, I was like, come on, come on, just tell us, just tell us. And and you saw McCarr was there and you saw his folks were there and you saw Sackick was there, but then you saw Roman Yossi was there. So it's like, okay, the guys in the room don't know. Like this is like a, a, a Hollywood award show. They don't know who the winner is. And they call Kale McCarr, the assistant GM from Calgary, um, who's battling ALS, was there with his family. I thought that was really cool to have them as a presenter. And they call McCarr's name, and it's like, oh, thank goodness. You know, like, he deserved it. We're glad he won it. But then you see the vote totals. Uh, Our guy Jake Shapiro sent him over, and it was like a 25-point difference. It was, I believe, 1631 to 1606. Um, and Yossi actually got more first place votes than McCarr, but McCarr got the, the voters who, you know, put him either first, second or third, whereas Yossi had some fourth and fifth place votes and not as many second place votes, but it was just like a good omen, right? Like he's going to win that one. And then he's two wins away from winning the con Smythe, getting the hardware he really, really wants. So, um, yeah, special night at the NHL awards for Kel McCarr and, uh, Obviously a deserving winner, but super close vote with Roman Yossi. Put some like fire emojis or whatever sort of emoji you want to congratulate Kale McCarr. Maybe even the clapping ones too in the comments. Because yes, it's a huge award. And I love how he got up and you could tell he was nervous when he did his acceptance speech. Where he was like, how's everyone doing? Like I was like, he's so nervous. And uh, if you've personally ever talked to Kale, you know he's not like a big talker. So for him to get up there and have to make it, I loved it. I was like, it shows they're human. Because sometimes you look at how amazing these players are, and you're like, these guys aren't human. So I love that. A huge congratulations again to Kale McCarr. Now, Joe Sackick was also nominated for the Jim Gregory General Manager Award or of the year award. And Sackick is a finalist along with Julian uh, Breesboy. I always say this wrong, Will. Please correct me. Uh, Julian Breesboy. 
Thank you so much. And then Chris Jerwey as well. So this was not announced, but he is a finalist. So huge shout out to Joe Sackick. It's really cool, but I'm so bad at names sometimes. I swear they just like, they always mix me up. And Rachel, we were at his press conference last week, right? Like we were there with him and, uh, and John Cooper. And it was funny because they, they kicked, they didn't kick us out, but they, Breezeblog got questions in French. So they told us, they're like, if you don't want to listen to the French portion of the press conference, you can leave. And I was like, it's kind of interesting, but I don't speak French. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, go out and talk to the lightning players, but yeah, super well-deserved for super Joe. I mean, obviously he's constructed this roster in a masterful way and what he did at the trade deadline with, with Lackanen and Manson was, was big as well. So um, Joe's a deserving candidate. And as our Jake Shapiro pointed out, his former teammate, Chris Drury on there too. Uh, you'll obviously remember Drury and Sackick won a cup together with the mm-hmm. Avalanche in 2001. So kind of full circle there. Cool to see. And what do you know? The two GMs playing in the Stanley Cup final, both nominated for the award, certainly makes sense, but also shows you how much the players are important. But the guy, the guy creating the players, if you will, or creating the roster with the players equally is important in the NHL. Okay, so we don't talk a lot of Rockies because there's, I'm not going to lie, not always a bunch of highlights or high moments for this team. And I'm not trying to hate on the Rockies by any means. Sometimes they do give us a lot more laughs than anything else. So they had an error yesterday as they were taking on the Miami Marlins. So go ahead and take a watch and get a laugh out of it. Chassin. There it is. Base hit right field. Situational hitting Miguel Rojas and RBI and a 7-5 lead. Now the ball bounces around the infield. Runner gets to third. Miggy trying to get into a rundown and maybe trying to get Sanchez home. And he will. Rojas still in, still in the pickle. I think he was actually tagged out. But Miggy's saying he never got tagged. You're shaking your head. The Rockies lost to the Marlins 9-8. to Maybe if that run hadn't happened, they could have gotten a win or, I guess, even a tie. But, Will, at this point, you just got to laugh when the Rockies do something because they're way, way down there in the standings now. Yeah, it's like cue the yakety sax music, the circus. Uh, <laughs> the, the Rockies are – I don't even know what to say. I mean, listen – the, the one thing that they, they haven't had in the last few years is it's just, well, they can't pitch. So there's nothing they can do. But the excuse makers would always say, but they're really good at the plate and they're really solid in the field. You know what they've not been in the field this year? Solid. They've been a disaster in the field. So many errors, so much sloppy baseball. And, and seriously, on, on a note of, um, I guess, a serious note, that is the kind of stuff that gets managers fired. And I know everyone loves Bud Black and he's Uncle Buddy and he's fun with the media and he's always, you know, joking around and laughing. Mm -hmm. But Bud Black and Jeff Breidich were tight. Jeff Breidich hasn't been here anymore for about a year. Bill Schmidt's the new GM. And for as much as we all like Bud and his personality, again, sloppy stuff is what gets managers fired. And I'm not rooting for Bud Black to get fired because I actually like the guy. He's been nice to me over the years. I'm just saying that that kind of play, that's where the concern starts to creep in. Like, 
yeah, they could be looking at making a managerial change. So it's something to keep an eye on that the play is laughable. Don't get me wrong, but what might happen as the result of the play would not be so laughable and it would be on the players because it would be, Hey, you guys can't tighten this up and you just got a good man fired. You wish you had, they had a camera on Bud Black during that exact moment. But Maria says, OMG. And Troy says, at least the Rocky City Unis are cool. And you know what else? Kyle Freeland is pretty cool because him and his significant other, they hopped on a private plane to head out to game three of Tampa. And they had a little reel on Instagram we want to show you right now. You gotta love the music first of all. I feel like it's so like poppy, but also just really, really fun too. It was cool to see them out to Tampa. It took a private play, flew out there to see game three. Unfortunately, they weren't able to get a win, which was unfortunate, but we're hopeful for game four. But tomorrow is also the NBA draft. It's hard to believe that we've already gotten to this point in the summer, gentlemen. Jake Shapiro joins us now. And Jake, hit us with what we need to know going into tomorrow night for the NBA. I think the most important thing from the Nuggets perspective is that they have two first round picks, 21 and 30. And 30 is a really valuable pick to have in the NBA draft because it's the last pick in the first round. And what that means is if you're a first round pick, you actually get a year more of team control versus the second round. So I think a lot of younger teams that are earlier on in their rebuilds are actually going to try and trade up for that 30th pick. And the Nuggets might end up with a couple more second round picks out of that selection. But what what I'm talking about with all this moving is the Nuggets are very active in trade talks. They might move up in the first round. They might not even select and move both of those picks for a for a bigger name player that's already established in the NBA. So what I'm expecting for the Nuggets tomorrow is a very, very chaotic two to three hours where a lot of their offseason is decided. And I think if you are a Nuggets fan or you, you know, pay attention to the Nuggets, you're going to get one to two to maybe even three players that are going to be really key for the Nuggets next year uh, at some point in the next 48 hours. For both of you, tell me what position you're obviously looking for the Nuggets to really fill with these first two or these two first round picks, excuse me, Will? I just think it's some big man depth around Nikola Jokic. You're going to get Jamal Murray back. Um, You're going to get Porter back as as a three um, some people think he's a four. I think he's more of a three and, uh, you just need, you just need depth at, at, you know, you need bulk, you need big guys. Like Boogie Cousins was great in the playoffs, but it was like, we've gotten to the point where we're, we're, we're at Boogie Cousins cause we have no one else on the roster. So I would love to see the Nuggets add some size and maybe finally, uh, find a true backup center for Nikola Jokic. Yeah. I would go the opposite because I think Monte Morris is going to end up getting traded And they have Bones Highland as a backup point guard, which is great. But then they'll need a third string point guard because Facundo Campazzo is going to be gone. And we've seen how much Bones Highland and Facundo Campazzo have played in the last two years. So they're going to need a third string point guard. Um, That's something I think they're going to target if they keep both of their selections. Uh, But with their first selection, I wouldn't be surprised to see them go after a very good defensive player. And there are a couple in this draft from guys like Marjan Bochamp to Tari Eason to Jalen Williams, who's a little bit smaller in a guard. 
there are a couple guys that fit in kind of that shooting guard, small forward to power forward range. Um, and they could use a backup shooting guard. Like, you know, we don't even know who their starting shooting guard is right now with Will Barton. Uh, Bones Highland might even slide in and play some shooting guard. So I- I'd expect the Nuggets to actually trade or sign someone in that position. But as Will mentions, you know, they need a backup center. It might be Boogie Cousins. We kind of expect him to walk. There are a couple guys that I've seen at the Nuggets draft workouts from Christian Coloco uh, to, to a couple other players that would fill that seven foot uh, you know, backup center role in a perfect world, the Nuggets would have a backup center who could also play power forward with Nikola Jokic on the floor. And we saw this kind of come up last year when James was talking about in the playoffs and Will was talking about in the playoffs. Why don't you play Boogie and Jokic together? Well, they just kind of don't work with today's NBA style. I was in favor of playing them together, but if they get a seven footer who can also shoot a little bit better than Boogie can, maybe there's a chance that they can play those two guys together. Jake, drop us one name. So Jake and I are actually going to be breaking down everything you need to know about the Nuggets draft class and players that we could possibly see them taking tomorrow on coffee break. So make sure you come back and hang out with us then. But Jake, give us a little teaser. Who's one guy you think that could possibly become a Nugget in the next 24 or I guess 48 hours? I'll do better. Uh, There's a big board on denverfan.com of five guys. The top three guys on that big board, and you should click to find out the last two, um, are Tari Eason, 6'8 forward from LSU, Jalen Williams, a guard wing, 6'6 from Santa Clara, and then Dalen Terry, who was one of the best Pac-12 defensive players of uh, of last year playing at Arizona. He's 6'7. So those are three guys that I know the Nuggets are targeting that would help them immensely. And I think, Will, you'd probably agree with me in saying you could almost get nothing out of the fifth uh, player in the Nuggets uh, uh, starting lineup offensively. But if they're a great defensive player, you can find a way to make it work, right? Yeah, they got nothing out of Jeff Green, and he still started. So, uh, it, yeah, they, they've proved they're, they're okay with that model, but maybe a little better defensive prowess than Jeff Green would be an upgrade too. So, uh, yeah, I'll just close with some snark, I guess. I love it. Well, we are almost down to the last couple of minutes of our show. So, of course, we have to go with score predictions for tonight's game four between the Avs and Lightning. Will, hit me. I I just think this Kadri thing can't be uh, stated enough how big a deal this is, how big a spark this is going to provide the Avs. Let's not forget, they're 7-1 and one on the road in the postseason. They've scored 38 goals in eight games. That's 4.75 road goals per game. And that's including the two they scored in game eight. It's an absurd number. I think they're going to come out and find the back of the net tonight. I think the defense will improve. I think Mr. Swiss Cheese won't, but I'm taking the Avalanche five to four. Wow. Uh, I've got four, three abs. Uh, I, I, I'm going to say either goalie steps up for the abs, no matter who it is, has a couple nice saves. Um, I don't know that the abs are going to get five past Vasilevsky again, um, but four seems reasonable. And uh, yeah, as Will said, I think Nazem Kadri, even if he can barely shoot and or skate or whatever, the issue really is going to be with Nazem Kadri. Uh, just having that name back in there is going to be a huge boost to them. And uh, I see an Avs win tonight. They've bounced back so well. And I know Will, Will said this on the postgame show too the other night. They've had such a limited sample. We've had such a limited sample size of them dealing with resiliency in this postseason, but when they've had to, it's been really well. And, and I'm going to just trust the recent data and saying, Hey, the abs bounce back tonight. Oh my goodness. Uh, Gary says five, three abs. Maria says, let's go abs. 
I'm going to take an actually low scoring game, which I feel like I'm going to regret later on, but I'm going to go three, two abs. Um, I guess it's not super low scoring, but compared to what we've seen from this abs offense, it does feel low scoring, but I'm, I'm excited for tonight, gentlemen. I hope everybody else is excited too. Buckle up, everyone. Game four tonight, 6 p.m. Mountain Time. Make sure you tune in to ABC as the Avs will hopefully get another win and be one win away from a Stanley Cup final championship. Gentlemen, as always, thank you so much. And to everyone watching, too, thank you so much for hanging out with us this morning. We're back again. Well, actually, Will, myself, and James Merlot will be on the post game as soon as the final horn goes tonight. So come hang out with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And then we'll be back tomorrow morning, 1030 a.m. Bye, everyone.